joining us via uh, Facebook Live this morning. Uh, here's a, a little bit of an update about what's happening in the life of our church. Uh, as a way of showing love to your neighbor, we ask that you please wear a mask when moving around the building and when singing. If you have been vaccinated, wearing a mask is optional when you are in your seat. Please continue to pray for Pastor Alex and his family uh, during his sabbatical. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to reach out to our elders. Uh, again, I do want to remind everyone that our youth and our kids will uh, begin meeting again next month in August. So be on the lookout for more announcements about that. Uh, if you are a first time guest or if you are a guest and have not uh, been plugged in in any way at all yet um we want uh, you to fill out one of our guest cards that you can find out in the narthex after the gathering i'll be standing out uh, right um right between the double doors or as soon as you go out the double doors from the sanctuary to the left uh, i'll be standing there and uh, if you're a first-time guest we'd like to connect with you uh, our next Enter the Village class is starting in September. Uh, it'll Again, it'll begin in uh, September. This is for people who are interested in learning more about our church. And it is the first step towards church membership here at the Village Church. If you are interested, uh, please reach out to Cynthia, who is our church administrator. Uh, her email address is Cynthia at EnterTheVillage.net. Or see any one of our elders or me after the gathering. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew, our sermon series on the way. And uh, our brother, uh, Wes Spears, will be preaching on today. Uh, so please, yeah, you can give it up for that. Uh, so please uh, continue to uh, lift him in prayer as we uh, receive God's word from him. Uh, we want to connect with you. So Flocknote is the tool that we use to communicate with our members and our guests. It lets you decide what info you'd like to receive via email or text from the various ministry groups in our church. You can subscribe at any time or unsubscribe at any time. And there are two easy ways to connect. You can visit our church uh, at flocknote.com forward slash the village church or text join the mission all one word, lowercase, join the mission to 84576. Again, that is 84576. At the Village Church, we believe that uh, the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. So you can give to the vision and mission of the Village Church uh, by visiting our website at enterthevillage.net forward slash give. Uh, you can also give by mailing a check uh, to our physical address. The address is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. And the last way that you can give if you're alive and in color here today, you can drop off um, your offering in the designated place at the back of the sanctuary. Lastly, please be sure to follow us on our various social media platforms. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So those are your announcements today. Please govern yourselves accordingly. I did not grab my uh, bulletin, so if someone could bring me one, that would be awesome. That would be great. Thank you so much. 
Let's go uh, before our God uh, and ask him to bless our time in a prayer of preparation today. Father, you are a God who is gracious gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Since that is your character, we put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, you are the reason we are here today. We thank you for an opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters on another Lord's Day. But we exalt you. God, center our hearts and our minds on the finished work that, that Christ completed at Calvary. Lord, help us to rejoice that Jesus, you you didn't stay dead. <laughs> three days you you rose with power and you sent the spirit to dwell with us so help us through the presence of your spirit that all believers brought along with us this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth god we thank you that your word will go forth today and again we ask that you will be with our brother west stands to uh, deliver gospel truth to us today. Lord, you be exalted through our through our worship, through our singing, through from the from the from the opening to the benediction, God. May you be exalted and help us to exult in you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you will continue to do for us. God, I I want to give a, a, a special prayer also for uh, Alex and his family uh, as they are on their sabbatical. Lord, continue to uh, be with them. And Lord, uh, help us to remember uh, them as we go throughout our various uh, activities day to day to keep them in our, in our hearts and in our prayers. So God, we thank you. We do give you praise. We give you glory and honor. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen.
you would please stand with me this morning. Good morning, everybody. Maybe I should have said that first. I just kind of dove in right into the thing. Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church. I know Amos already welcomed everyone, but welcome to the Village Church. Welcome friends and family on the other side of the screen. Whenever you may be watching this, I hope all is well with you and that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our call to worship this morning is taken from the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Please join with me where it reads um, congregation. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen. We're going to sing this morning, okay? God is able. Amen. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. This is an oldie but a goodie. Y'all sing it with me. Oh 
defeat is the grave. Grace to life, our God is able. In His name, we overcome. For the Lord, our God is able. Lift it up, defeat is the grave. Grace to life, our God is able.
God, you are able. You are able. You are more than able. You are more than committed. You are mighty. You are high and lifted up. You are sovereign. You love us with a never-ending love. You are the way maker, miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. You are a light we don't have to fear. You are a hiding place, a refuge in the time of trouble. You hear the prayers that we haven't even prayed yet and all of the ones that we don't know to pray. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. And sometimes we take that just a little too lightly. I know that I do. But God, you are able. You fill in the gaps. You go before us. You are our banner. And you are our battle
God's Son, we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. you all but i've missed that that's uh and thank you patience uh it's it's good to be able to uh, not only be together and to offer words of praise but to sing that something about that that resonates with our soul i think it's part of the way god has wired us together and uh, it's good to be able to do that with our brothers and sisters uh would you join with me in a prayer of praise oh father god we, we praise you First and foremost, we just praise you, not for what you do for us, not for what you've provided, but we praise you for who you are, that you are the God of the universe, that you are the God who spoke all that we see and can perceive. Uh, You spoke it all into existence. So, Father, we praise you for that. But, Father, as we just declared in song, uh, we praise you that you are able you are able in all things and whatever we face would even those things that we're unaware of father you are able father we praise you that you are the god who overcame the grave uh, that we praise you that you in your name we are overcomers and father even if we've arrived here this morning weary and maybe even downcast uh, father in you we find our rest And we can find peace there. That you are not a God who is just an idle spectator on the sidelines of life. But, Father, you are with us. You are intimately involved not only in the affairs of man and mankind. Father, you are intimately involved in orchestrating the events of our lives for your glory and to draw us closer to you. And, Father, I pray that we could rest in that truth. But, Father, we praise you. We praise you for the just the, the joy of being together with other believers and how we catch a glimpse of you. Father, you've made us relational just as that's the very essence of the Trinity, community. And, and that's one of the ways we're made in your image. And it's just good to be together with our brothers and sisters. So, Father, we praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Our verse, as we come into just a time of uh, silent confession um, of our sins, is Romans 6.12. It says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. And again, let's just, one of the, the conundrums of the Christian faith is as believers, those of us who have entrusted our lives to Christ, um, we stand before him as righteous. I don't know about you, there are times when I don't feel righteous, when I give in to that sin. And on God's side of the equation, nothing's changed. But on my side of the relationship, I've done something to undermine my intimacy with God. So this is a time to confess that, to repent from that, and and, and to receive what he's already given us, uh, that forgiveness. So let's just have a time of silent confession and repentance.
Father God, we thank you that you are a God that is rich in mercy, rich in forgiveness. Uh, Father, rich in long-suffering, rich in loving kindness. And it boggles my mind uh, that uh, we can stand before you as righteous, not because of anything we've done or accomplished, but based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we can rest in that. And we don't have to browbeat ourselves, uh, but just to rely on your grace, your power, your mercy. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And our verse for the assurance of pardon comes from Romans 6, 13, the second part of that verse. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And the passage that uh, Wes is going to be preaching on here um, is Matthew 19. If you have Bibles or your Bible app, uh, you want to go ahead and open that up to uh, Matthew 9. And I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 12 uh, from the English Standard Version. Now when Jesus finished these uh, sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from the birth, their birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. May God bless the reading of his word.
God, if you would, pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you so very much. For one, that we can come here and pray and praise you and fellowship together and worship you together. Um, Lord, thank you that we're singing again together as as has been said a few times already this morning from up here. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you that you've given us voices that we can sing and that it doesn't matter how good, uh, how on key we can sing even, that we can just do that together. Um, Lord, thank you for everybody who's here this morning and who who will view this service uh, in some way. I thank you for their stories, their hearts, uh, what you're doing in all of our hearts. uh, And I pray and ask, Lord, that even now as we begin to look at this passage that Steve read uh, a few minutes ago, uh, one that we'd remember it's your word. Thank you for giving it to us, that we'd approach it with humility, uh, with receptivity, and that you would open our hearts. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that does that. Uh, I pray for anybody here who doesn't yet know you in faith for whatever reason, that you would open their hearts to you today. This would be a day of salvation. Thank you that you still offer that to us. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be up here. Uh, I am a little nervous, but thank you for the opportunity to come up here and preach. Uh, I've really enjoyed preparing. uh, And my prayer really is that this time is helpful for us as a body in following Christ together. As was read, thank you, Steve, by the way, for reading that. Uh, Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, uh, is our passage today. And in it, Jesus gives what's perhaps a controversial teaching on marriage and divorce. It was certainly controversial uh, in his time, uh, though for some different reasons. We'll look at those in a moment. And then he also has this really interesting follow-up conversation with his disciples about singleness. I want to say, uh, for all the kids in the room who are, who are paying attention, even though we're talking about things like marriage, divorce, singleness, uh, please hang in there with me. There, I think there's something here for you as well. Um, so we're going to dive into all that, but first I want to pray one more time for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning, and I pray that you would speak through my words, uh, and we know that you speak through your word. Do a work in our hearts. It's in your name I pray. Some of y'all may know this about me, but one of my very favorite things in the world are sunsets and sunrises. Just, just think about this for a minute. Twice a day, the start and the end of each day, the sunlight and the clouds and the colors resulting come together and do this one-of-a-kind uh, dance together to make like a dynamic art that God is just splashing across the sky lavishly. And this morning, it was gray and rainy. We couldn't quite see it, but the sun still rose. We still have light. Uh, we know that happened. And, and so even on such days, the sunset, the sunrise, they're, they're phenomenal in their own way. If, uh, if humans made such a thing as a sunset, I think we'd find a way to charge admission for it. But God just throws it up there. He's ridiculously generous. And, uh, and I, obviously, they captivate me. And yet, some of y'all may know where I'm going with this. I, I rarely notice. I think we've, we've literally structured 
our, our lives, clutter them in such a way that we miss this crazy yet routine display of his glory most of the time. Um, but nonetheless, he keeps making them. And just one of, just one of the th- reasons I think he does that is because each day it's an invitation for us to lift our gaze a little higher than we're normally going to put it and uh, behold something that is glorious, totally, totally beyond us. Yet it's also something for us to personally enjoy. And I think fundamentally that's what Jesus is also doing in this passage that we just read, in that he is inviting us to look up, to notice, one, what's going on in our hearts, and in the more glorious way for us to live. And so although this teaching is about marriage and divorce uh, and then singleness, it's not, uh, I don't think it's uniquely about those things. It's really about the state and the posture of our heart before God and then how that impacts our relational life. Uh, whether we're married or we're single. Um, so in both Jesus' response to the Pharisees about marriage and divorce, and then in his follow-up conversation with the disciples, he paints an invitational vision uh, of what it looks like to follow him, and then he acknowledges the reality, the unique realities of doing that uh, for both marriage and singleness. And altogether, these things point to the crux of the issue which, as I said, is the posture of our hearts. And if if that posture is one of hardness, then regardless of how carefully we follow a letter of a law, regardless of our view on such things, we are not participating in his way. We don't have life. Life, which is Jesus' way, is one of soft hearts, and he is the softener of our hearts. So that's what we're going to get into. In verses 1 and 2 of the chapter uh, Matthew sets up the context for us, and he says that Jesus has, uh, has been up in Galilee, that's up in the north of Israel, and he's come down to the southeast and across the Jordan River, and he's ultimately on his way to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die. You know, that's the mission he's on. Uh, but on the way, uh, he, tons of people are following him at this point. He's very, his ministry is famous, and he's healing and he is teaching. That is what he is doing here. He did not come here to set the record straight uh, with the Pharisees on marriage and divorce. Yet those Pharisees do come up to him. uh, And the Pharisees uh, were like the religious leaders uh, of the day and time. Uh, They do not come to Jesus for healing or to hear the words and the signs that he's doing. They skip over those things. uh, And instead, they're just coming to test him. And that's why I think this passage is more about our heart and our approach to Jesus and how we follow him, then it is about marriage and divorce, because that conversation just started because they missed the sunrise, if you will. They missed what, that the Messiah was here. So I do want to say, and we've noted this in, as we've worked through this book, uh, that the, it's not inherently bad that the Pharisees uh, test Jesus. It is a valid question, uh, and it was based in a controversy in their day and time over uh, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And I'll summarize that for us. Uh, that, that passage says, uh, If a man finds some indecency in his wife, that he may write her a certificate of divorce, send her away, and that annuls the marriage. Now, to be clear, it does not command divorce. The only thing it, that passage actually commands is that if a woman were to be divorced twice, then that she cannot marry her first husband. Uh, but the controversy, as you can imagine, is 
honing in on that phrase, some indecency. What, when is divorce justified? That's what the Pharisees are asking. And over time, since Deuteronomy was written, uh, there were basically two camps that had developed. Uh, We could call them a conservative and a liberal camp. And that should be familiar. We're still good at dividing into such camps. Uh, But the, the interpretive conservatives took this passage very narrowly and said that any indecency was only if uh, there was some sexual infidelity, that is, adultery or some other grievous sexual sin. The interpretive liberals, however, said that anything, just about anything, could potentially count for grounds for divorce. Um, You may have heard this before. Even uh, They even said things like a wife burning food or a husband... uh, finding some other woman more attractive than his wife, those could be legitimate grounds for divorce. So the point is, how you, this is not just an intellectual exercise. This, how you understand when divorce is justified carries big social implications. But we know, despite the validity of the question, that the Pharisees uh, are not just wanting to get Jesus' position. They're maliciously trying to trap him and condemn him. But nonetheless, uh, Jesus engages them. And when they ask him this question in verse 3, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, I think that there are two ways that we in this room today might approach Jesus' answer. Think back to what Steve read a few minutes ago. Um, that would also lead us to miss the sunrise, to, to gloss over what Jesus is saying. And the first way we might approach Jesus' words are that we agree with it. It validates us. Uh, we might think, finally something Jesus says that I've got down. Check. I may be totally messed up in all sorts of ways, but at least I've never been divorced, and I don't intend to be. Now, I do want to say, y'all, if, if you're in a good marriage, if you've never been divorced, uh, praise the Lord. Do, don't, not taken away from that at all. Uh, the issue is if we think this is a box that we can check, and therefore think we've got it down, we don't need to engage with this so much. The other way that we might approach this, though, is that it sounds unrealistically harsh. Uh, maybe you even feel shamed by Jesus' words. Think, I don't live up to this. I've been divorced for reasons that don't fit with what Jesus is saying. Uh, or maybe you, you, you've been around or, you're in, or have been in a toxic marriage situation where divorce really did seem like the best thing for everyone. Whether we like what Jesus says, it validates us. Or uh, whether we don't like it and we don't want to hear hard things, either of these approaches, like I said, could cause us to gloss over his words. But since Jesus is the king, we can't just pick and choose the things of him that we like. We have to engage with the whole person, all he says, if he's truly our Lord. So when the Pharisees ask him their question, notice what he does. He does not go back to Deuteronomy 24, the passage that they're referencing. Everybody in in their context knows that's what he's referencing. Jesus goes back to God's creative ideal, back to Genesis 1 and 2. And in so doing, he recasts our vision of marriage in light of God creator and in light of following his son. He says, uh, starting in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate it. So first, this is genius because Jesus is meeting the Pharisees right where they're experts. Um, almost certainly, uh, they had both all of Genesis and Deuteronomy memorized. They know their scriptures. Uh, and Jesus is so bold as to say, guys, don't you remember the beginning? Don't you remember how God created us to be? And he's not just, he's not just saying, you guys are wrong. You missed it. He's extending an invitation to them and, and also to us uh, to raise our by, eyes back up to God's creative ideal uh, and what we were made for. And that is that specifically in marriage, uh, a man and a woman come together in a relationship that is even closer than that of child to parent. Marriage, as instituted and intended by God, is actually a covenant of faithfulness for life. It's not just for procreation to keep the human race alive. It's not just for pleasure. That is, it's not, marriage is not about our happiness. Uh, ultimately, marriage is actually part of us imaging our relational Trinitarian God in total self-sacrificial love. It's part of how we bear God's image. It's part of what we were made, how we, how we bear that out. But despite that high redeemed view that Jesus invites them to remember, the Pharisees press him further. They say, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? Yeah, what about Moses? What, what about that? Jesus, uh, he answers them by reading Moses more carefully than they do. Uh, he said to them in verse 8, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. See, Jesus points out that Moses allows for divorce, but it's because of the posture uh, of their hearts. He's saying, y'all don't have a soft enough heart to be committed to love and faithfulness and self-sacrifice. And that means divorces will happen. Moses' concession is just to corral the collateral damage of your sin. Uh, again, if we look back to the beginning, one chapter after what Jesus references, uh, Genesis 3, we know that relational brokenness was actually one of the first things, the first effects of the fall. Adam and Eve, first husband and wife, uh, after, after the fall, they become ashamed to be vulnerable with each other. Uh, they start blaming each other. Uh, and that starts that off. It, so if we, like the Pharisees were doing, uh, are asking even today how to get divorced when is it okay uh, for self-justified outs and escapes from a situation that we just don't like? Then our gaze is already lowered. We're already living according just to that fallout of the fall, short of God's intent. But it is not quite as black and white as uh, if you love Jesus, you just never get divorced. End of story. It's not that simple. Uh, in verse 9, Jesus says, Continuing the conversation, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Here's what we want to draw out of this. That Jesus acknowledges, very similar to Moses, in fact, that divorces are still going to happen in this life. He's not surprised by the human condition. He's living with it. He's bearing with it. He's about to die for it. He knows. Uh, 
And so he's not, in his call, in his invitation to follow him in this life, he's not acting like life is different than it really is. This life is still sin-tainted, and although our king now lives, we still do battle. There will still be casualties. There will still be failures, infidelities, deceptions, addictions, and abuses. In other words, there will be legitimate reasons why divorces will still happen. Uh, And I mean, I say that with no shame. It's just the truth that we are still quite good at tearing apart what God puts together in all corners of creation, not just marriage. But as part of acknowledging the reality of our broken world, uh, Jesus gives this, what seems to be his one concession, that divorce is, is truly okay when it's because of sexual immorality. Uh, and on first reading, that seems like a pretty narrow exception clause. Um, it does raise some questions like, okay, if my spouse has sexual immorality, then divorce might be an option. But if some other immorality or sin, it's not. What, what is Jesus really saying here? And there has been a lot over history that has been said about this. Uh, and to be honest, um, I don't feel qualified to speculate on in-depth specific cases when divorce really is justified. Uh, but I do want to touch on a couple things. Um, first of which, Jesus says, whoever divorces uh, except on grounds of sexual immorality commits adultery. That phrase, sexual immorality, it's the Greek word uh, porneia, and from it we get words today like pornography. This is the New Testament's most general word for sexual sins. Uh, you can think of it as a catch-all uh, for any kind of sexual sin or misconduct. Uh, and it can include everything uh, from adultery uh, to promiscuity, like I said, to pornography. Uh, and if we think back, though, to Matthew 5 and how Jesus t- is talking about adultery in the Sermon on the Mount, he says even our lustful intent or lustful thoughts looking at someone is the same uh, as adultery. So in light of that, that Jesus says that uses this word sexual immorality and it covers everything from adultery to, to just having a thought or, or some sort of fantasy in your head, I want to ask a question to everybody who's old enough for this to apply to, and if you're a follower of Jesus, which of us, anybody here, is completely innocent of sexual immorality. Is there anybody here who's never even had a lustful thought in some way or some other past or present sexual sin? Anybody? In other words, we have all thought or done something in our lives that would give grounds for our spouse to divorce us under Jesus' word here. And so I think there's little profit in us trying to figure out the loopholes for when God might be okay with divorce. Uh, And there's certainly no profit in us judging other people's divorces against this passage uh, in that way. Every divorce and the eligibility for it is a tragedy. It is because of the fallenness of man. It's because of the hardness of our hearts. So like any other area, we're just dependent wholly on Jesus' righteousness, his faithfulness. This is not a box that we can check. We need the Holy Spirit to yield the fruit in us that would make us love in our marriages, love each other, even when we don't deserve it, even when our spouse has every right to look at our thought life 
and say, you have not been true to me. Now, I'm not saying any of this to create any shame over the failure of our failure to live up to this. Uh, divorce, divorce and adultery are not unpardonable sins, actually. Uh, but they are tragedies, and they are full of sin. And the point is that Jesus' invitation is for all of us to let him soften our hearts, to receive the washing of his grace that empowers us to be faithful, to extend grace not out of our own capacity, but out of his. It will not be our view on divorce that keeps our marriages together. It will be the postures of our heart. Now, we've been talking a lot about marriage and divorce so far. Uh, but what about those of us who are single, uh, who are not married? Um, maybe you don't want to get married. Maybe you're too young. That's legitimate for a lot of y'all. Uh, but, uh, or maybe you do and it hasn't worked out yet for whatever reason. Regardless, Jesus has not left you out. Uh, he, just like he did with marriage, he extends uh, an invitation to those of us who are single, and his call is also realistic. He talks about the realities and the difficulties of being single here. Let's read uh, verse 10. Jesus says, if, or the disciples say to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They get the gravity and the impossibility of all that we've just said. They understand that being married, staying committed for life with no out is, is extremely difficult. But, and maybe they also get, though, that uh, we're all so messed up that we deserve to be divorced. Uh, so there's just no point in getting married, right? Jesus says to them in verse 11, and I like to imagine he says this first part with a smile. He says, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Eunuch. There is a word that we do not use very often. I want to restate this passage in maybe some more modern English. Um, some people are biologically, that is physically or developmentally, unable to get married and unable to have sex. Some people have experienced situations that effectively make them unable to get married. And then some people are led by God's Spirit not to marry for the sake of pursuing the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, if you're in one of these situations, then you're in a place to receive the saying that the calling of singleness is better than marriage, and that could be for right now, and that could be for all of life. Now, I hope that we all know this, but I need to say this, that there is nothing more holy about marriage than singleness. And to those of you uh, in our body who are single right now, again, whether you feel called to it or not, but that's where you find yourself, I imagine that it can be really hard in a place like here at Village, where there are a lot of us who are married, a lot of young married people. And we have kids running around all over this place. Um, and it can feel like that all we talk about is our kids. Um, and all we have time for is our families. We don't have time to do other things. And so that can even be hurtful. I realize that. And so if you have gotten the message 
uh, in some way here that you are less than living a less meaningful life because you're not married, please accept my apology right now. You are not less than because of your relational status. Marriage and singleness have all sorts of unique ways that God uses and grows us and communes with us. Honestly, Jesus' words remind me a lot of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, He says uh, that this is not from the Lord, this is just my opinion, but if you're not married, it's better to remain as you are. The married man is anxious about uh, worldly things and how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the married woman is anxious how to please her husband. Though I think Paul's a little biased because he was single. Is this not true? When you're married, you just have more, you're more inundated with things that would not hit you if you were single. Yeah. yeah. And I feel, I mean, I feel this, I struggle with this in my own life and in our own, in our own marriage. It feels like there are thing, the responsibilities and, and the things of, of being, being a husband and a dad uh, are in tension with those of uh, what I might call ministry. Um, but so in a sense, those of us who never marry actually have advantages in following serving Jesus in that you, in a way you really can more wholly give yourself to the kingdom. Now, Eugene Peterson in his message Bible translation of Jesus's words in verses 11 through 12 kind of flips this on his head. And he says that, uh, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone, but if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. Yeah, I think both Paul and Eugene Peterson's observations are true. Marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ's relationship with us. But as we've said, there just are aspects of the kingdom that as a married man, I'll never experience uh, in this life. But you, as a single person, can. I think this is just another one of those very important aspects of diversity in our body. We need married folks. We need single folks. We need people, married folks with kids, without kids. We need, we need us all in this mosaic. And hear me, none of this is to say, though, that being single is an easier path. That's uh, one of the things that really struck me about this passage is that Jesus acknowledges uh, very explicitly the difficulty and the hardship the pain even that accompanies the reality of singleness. And I just want to look at a couple of those. Um, for one thing, by talking about eunuchs as the contrast to married people, he's being very clear that those who follow him and are not married must be committed to celibacy. And what that means is not being sexually active. All followers of Jesus are called to purity. Uh, and the way we do that in marriage is, you know, in faithfulness to our spouse and being honest about our sin. Um, but outside of marriage, purity includes not having sex. Hebrews 13.4 puts it this way. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immorally adulterous. Jesus just does not give a category for having a sexual relationship without the weightiness of marriage. And so th- this is obviously one of the reasons that singleness is so very hard to again quote paul many of us in some way or other burn with passion and paul says that's a legitimate reason to get married but it's not a legitimate reason to sin regardless of whether or not we're married 
However, singleness also, though, can be result of or wrapped up in just the brokenness of our world. Uh, if you notice, only one of the categories of singleness that Jesus mentions is choosing it for the sake of the kingdom. The other two hearken to the horrible things that can happen to people that prevent them from getting married, among other things. Um, but they might otherwise have been blessed in it. Um, these could be physical things or, or abuses done to us, and that's most literally what Jesus is talking about here. Um, but we, we certainly today have debilitating emotional baggage uh, that comes from trauma, abuse, past wounds, often to us dealt by others, by people that we thought that we could trust, that make, it, make us unable to have a healthy relationship, much less a healthy, be, be set up for a healthy marriage. But here's what it means, though, that Jesus specifically acknowledges singleness and then talks about these varied reasons why people, uh, why people are single right after that conversation about marriage, is that the kingdom of heaven, the way of Jesus, that is his invitation to us to have your heart softened, is extended regardless of marital or relationship status, regardless of even your ability or desire to have sex. In other words, our value our dignity, our humanity, that is according to our creator, is not based in those things. And we say this here often in some way or other, that uh, our, in the way of Jesus, our identity is made in the image of God, and through saving faith in Jesus, it is a child of God, a new creation entirely by God's grace. He is the one who gives us our identity, and it has nothing to do with our past, our lifestyle, our background. And so let's, let's try to land this plane that the invitation of Jesus is for the married and is for the single. And Jesus is not under any delusion of what either of those paths entail. For either, the message is the same. It is that without him, we've got hard hearts we have things that we will cling to and we don't want to relinquish uh, that makes us in our relationships value our own way, our own happiness, our own pleasure or comfort. Uh, and we hold that despite what damage it might wreak to other people, the other people in our relationship. Uh, a sign of hard-heartedness is looking to self-justify our actions, or whatever the cost. But Jesus offers us another way for us to lift our gaze to see his glory and relationships in light of that and to let him soften us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for softening hearts. And I pray that you would do that in our body where there are strongholds of hardness, where in my own life, where there are things that I don't want to let go of uh, and that that's hurting other people um, and hurting myself, my relationship with you. Um, I thank you for, again, for letting us gather this morning, and I pray uh, that you would do a work in our heart throughout the rest of this day. It's in your name I pray. Um, before we close, I think Mary has a ministry moment for kids. Is that right? TBC Kids?